0: are listening to the Fresh Hell podcast. This podcast contains material of a disturbing and often graphic nature. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Please don't let your kids listen to this or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna. And I'm Annie. Thanks so much for listening to the Fresh Hell podcast.
1: That's right. That's Fresh Hell Podcast. We are your international source for all those bizarre and terrible, terrible stories out there. (laughs) So you sound great. You
0: have a fancy new microphone today. Uh, I hope that the quality is better for you. Our listeners should know that you do all the sound editing, which I am very grateful for, because I don't know how to do any of that. I'm still learning how to use the Twitter. So we're still getting the hang of this. So fingers crossed, this makes life easier for you. And you don't have to cut your sexy spy voice out because of the sound. We love oh. your sexy
1: spy voice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have a super fancy new microtransmitter. So the eagle lands at midnight. Uh, I do all, do all this, the sound editing. And now I'm going to get some angry messages saying that I suck at it. Which is true because I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm giving my best. And yeah, you got to live with it. No, I think it's
0: good. I think it's good. And I have a new mic coming soon, so hopefully we'll sound the same. So what's new? What happened last week? Yeah, this has been this has been an especially busy week for true crime. so I think we we don't always take a minute to sort of talk about current events. Yeah, did you see that 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 guy came forward claiming to be Timothy Pitson? Yes, I read about it. Yeah. So if our listeners don't know about that case, Basically what happened, and this is long—this a long story short version, the mother went to his school and told the principal's office that there had been a family emergency and she needed to take him out of school because of that. And so they left school and then they went on this like bizarre kind of super fun road trip where they went to like water parks and the zoo and they kind of did all this stuff. But... Her husband was calling, and she wasn't returning his calls. I think she called her family once to say that she was okay, that they were both okay. But then eventually, they actually ended up finding her body. She had taken her own life, and Timothy was missing. And he's never been seen or heard from again. It's awful. It's such an awful story. And, of course, you know, it ended up not to be him um mm. generation y actually did a really good podcast episode on this so if you want the whole story uh go listen to that i'm just kind of bummed that it was all a scam
1: yeah it's it's horrible i feel really bad for the family actually uh another thing that happened did you see that they did a search on the house in the moro mary case um yes i don't know if your listeners are familiar with it it's 15 years ago i think it happened 2004 that a college student disappeared like into thin air Just in the middle of the night, they found her abandoned car. And that's the last thing they ever saw of her. As far as I remember, last week, they dug up a basement that was involved in the Morrow Murray case where they, they thought that maybe she was killed or maybe not. And some cadaver dogs actually had hit there. But until now, they didn't find anything.
0: Yeah, that actually all happened really close to me. It's so bizarre, though, because like, so she crashed her car on the side of the road, like into a snowbank. Yeah. Somebody called the police. Even though she said she didn't need anybody to call for her, and then, in like that fifteen minute window, she just vanished. It's so bizarre, and then, yeah, they'd brought in the cadaver dogs, which I'm so fascinated by,
1: yeah, I think you know how much you... I love
0: cadaver dogs, <laughs>
1: yeah, I know that you did some some extensive research on
0: cadaver dogs, right I did, I did, and actually now I really want to see I keep telling my husband I'd like to hire a cadaver dog to dig a sniff around in our backyard. <laughs> Our house is really, really old, and I just wonder if anyone is not murdered. You know, I'm not looking yeah, for murder yeah. victims, but, like, could there maybe be... We already found, a like, a trash pit when I was burying a... Burying? <laughs> Planting a tree. <laughs> I'm reading too many murder stories. But I think it would be fun. I want a metal detector, and I want some cadaver dogs. Husband, take note, my birthday is coming up. Yeah, so I had done a bunch of reading on that because initially you and I were planning to do a Madeline McCann episode. So I had done all this research on the Madeline McCann case. And I kept saying to you, and this is before the uh, Netflix Finding Madeline McCann came out. Is it Netflix or HBO? It's Netflix, yeah. Netflix, yeah. So we had been, I'd been researching before that. But I kept saying uh, to you, I don't think I want to do this anymore. This is a real bummer. And then I messaged you the next day saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. We can do this. It's fine. And I kept going back and forth because the problem with that story is ultimately it's just a handful of actual facts like we know where they were we know that Madeline and her twin siblings younger siblings were left alone in an unlocked apartment like little condo unit and that the parents even though they were close they couldn't see anything from where they were actually eating dinner that night so When I first went into it, I really thought that the parents had done something to her. Did you think initially that?
1: I was the same. Yeah, I thought it it must have been the parents. But after watching, well, I, I wasn't as familiar with the case as you were because you did your research. So I watched a Netflix documentary and I'm not as convinced anymore that the parents had anything to do with it or that it even was an accident and they just covered it up.
0: Right, Exactly. Yeah, I think part of the reason I thought that it was um, initially that it was an accident and they covered it up is because what they were doing, at the time that she went missing was so incredibly irresponsible that it just immediately makes you think like, who the hell are these people? Like who leaves like a three-year-old and two two two-year-olds? That is the age where they are constantly, I was just saying this to my friend Kayla, like that's the age where all they're trying to do is kill themselves and you're just trying to keep them alive. (laughs) Sticking toys into electric Mm -hmm. sockets, getting into poison, like all of that stuff. And they just, they left children of that age. Alone in an unfamiliar apartment building, yeah. out of sight and out of hearing. So ultimately, that case is just speculation with more speculation. And it's all awful. It's like, you know, was she, if she, if, there's just no happy ending. If she exactly. was taken yeah. from that room, I don't think it will end well because...
1: Yeah. yeah, she yeah. definitely it's... wasn't taken to live a happy life. I, I mean, know, there's prince a tiny of chance, yeah, right? Yeah, but
0: I mean, there's yeah, there's such a tiny chance, and I'm sure that's what her parents are hoping happened—that someone just yeah. thought she was a pretty girl and someone wanted a daughter. But I, it's it's just all such a bummer. There's it's just
1: yeah, so anyway, well, I mean, um, we can still always do an episode later on. So if we you're listening can. and you actually think, hey. I want to hear you talk about the Madeline episode or the Madeline case. Just let us know and, you know, question us about the case. And I mean, if you have some special questions or something you want to say, let us know if we can use your name in the episode if we ever decide to do it.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah. If you actually want all the facts that we have and the whole timeline and story of that case, let us know. And I would be happy to put those hours of research back into the podcast. So, but for today's podcast, what story do you have for us today? Is it a murder mystery or something macabre?
1: Well, actually, today's story has a little bit of all three. It is a story that takes place in the 18th century. So I'm thinking maybe we need to come up with a new category for this one. Hmm. How? (laughs) Mm, History. (laughs) I think that's perfect. Okay, let's say today's story is a m- historical one. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, I'm extremely excited. Today's topic is like one of my all-time favorite stories. I think I would even go as far as calling me mildly obsessed. Maybe not even mildly <laughs> <just laughs> <laughs> So, Do you know those kind of stories that are just larger than life? Stories that have romance, friendship, adventure, treason, murder, and even mystery?
0: Those stories are so rare.
1: It sounds like The Princess Bride. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Today's story is one of those. Well, I want to talk to you about the mutiny on the bounty. And I have to say, it's such a huge tale that uh, we will make this one a two-parter because there's just no way this will all fit into just one episode. Well, that's epic. (laughs)
0: So I'm really excited for this. I'm also very embarrassed to say that I actually don't know very much about this story at all. I know there's a ship and it was called The Bounty, and I know there was a mutiny on board, and that's it. Uh, in the I'm, name, right? <laughs> I know. I know, right? It's a, uh, yeah. So I'm sure that my dad, who listens, knows this story well, and he's going to enjoy this because he's a lot more into history, especially military history, than he is murder. That I get from my mom. Oh, did I tell you, though? Uh, dad thinks I'm swearing too much on the podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's not wrong. It's fine. Great. Now, I don't feel any pressure at all to get this one right, so Annie said, I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be
0: fine. He likes you more than he likes me now, so
1: no worries. I don't blame him. (laughs) True to the theme today, I've got a rum and coke and not my usual vodka and coke. So, let's start. Let's do it. Okay, so the story is set in the late 18th century, as already mentioned, and it all starts in the year 1784. That is the year that the ship that would later become famous as the bounty was built in Yorkshire, actually. It first had a different name. It was named Bethia, and it was a relatively small ship. It had a length of 90 feet. That's around 30 meters. It had three masts and was fully rigged. Imagine actually one of those tall ships that go around the world, and it would look a bit like that.
0: Oh, nice. I love the tall ships. Have you ever been to see them? No, I haven't yet, but I really, really want to. Oh, well, we need to add that to the growing list of things we have to do (laughs) to finally get you out here to visit. Uh, My parents took us to see them a few times. We've seen them both in Boston and also on Cape Cod. But if you, our listeners, ever have a chance to see them, I think they do go all over the world, and they're pretty
1: amazing. I think they're back in Boston this summer. Do we have a photo we can post? Yeah, we actually can post a photo. (laughs) Funny thing, because the bounty was reconstructed in 1960 for the MGM movie with Marlon Brando, The Mutiny on the Bounty. Sadly, this replica sank during Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Oh, that's cool. I didn't expect, like, when I
0: asked, was asking for a photo, I was expecting, like, an artist's rendering mm-hmm. of it or something. But that's amazing if we have a picture of an actual replica of the ship. I didn't know that it had sank. We actually got married dur- during Hurricane Sandy. <laughs> so I missed all the news that week. I was busy with uh, more fun things. Yeah, but,
1: I can imagine. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know how much you love this story. And so I'm really excited to hear this and to learn a little history.
1: Okay, so there are a few things that you should know, a little bit of a background story there. There was the War of Independence, you know about that, I guess, Annie. I do. (laughs) So it took place from 1775 to 1783. And what happened afterwards was that Great Britain had a lot of problems, obviously, because one of their issues was that they couldn't get any more cheap grain from the North American colonies to the Caribbean colonies to feed the people there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were like, "Um, sorry, but henceforth, there's no more grain for you. We have had it.
1: (laughs) So the British people actually had to come up with an alternative to to feed their people in the Caribbean because they were dying there. Between 1780 and 1787, approximately 15,000 people starved. Oh, that's awful. That's,
0: that's a lot of people in a that's short a amount lot of time. People, yeah. And the yeah. biggest
1: problem actually was with the th- uh, sugarcane plantation owners. They didn't starve, but they needed a cheap way to feed their slaves, obviously. Uh, of course. So they found a solution, and the solution was called breadfruit tree. That's a very cheap, very nutritious plant. It could help feed a lot of people in a very short amount of time in the Caribbean colonies. Another great advantage is that the plant needs only little attention after you plant it and only a little bit of care. So, yeah, it's a rather inexpensive way to feed a lot of people. But there's a slight problem there, and that's that the breadfruit tree was not growing in the West Indies. It was found in Oceania, actually.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So, of course, the slave trade is involved in the story, which is awful, but expected because of the time. I guess my first question is actually,
1: uh, where exactly is Oceania? Okay, so Oceania is uh, basically the term for Australia, Micronesia, and Polynesia. Okay. It's situated in Southeast Pacific. The breadfruit cheese that the British wanted, uh, they were in Polynesia. So you think of South Sea, you think tropical islands, turquoise water. And yes, they needed to get the plants from the South Sea to the West Indies, which would be, in this case, Jamaica. And that's also how the bounty comes into play. Because in the year 1787, the Royal Navy purchased Bethia for £1,950. And I checked and I know that today that would be around €240,000 or $270,000. Is that all, actually? that's, that's, all, yeah. that's It doesn't sound that much, right?
0: I don't know. I don't think you could buy a house in Boston for $270,000. So yeah, you it's couldn't just shocking enough. to me Yeah, <laughs> that you can buy a, a ship for that amount. I feel like I've put my money in the wrong place now. I should be living <laughs> on a on a, a fully rigged ship. <laughs> <laughs> that be nice.
1: Yeah. Except during hurricane season. Oh, yeah, that'd be a problem. You just have to go somewhere else. That's true. So the Navy equipped the, the bounty. They renamed it. They equipped her with four four-pounder cannons and ten swivel guns so they could protect themselves. And they're very, very important plants. And not only... VIPs. The... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's true. They're VIPs. <laughs> uh, not only was the bounty armed, but they also converted the captain's cabin into a floating greenhouse. That's amazing. That is so cool. Or wait, I should say, I've never said this. as is a Paris Hilton. That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's talk about the people that were hired for this expedition, because you need people on a boat, right? Yeah, let's. Uh, and instead, I'm sorry, I know I keep calling it boat. I know it's a ship. It's okay. <laughs> okay, so the Royal Navy gave command to the 33-year-old William Bligh. Uh, One of the reasons why William Bly was appointed commander of that expedition was because he has already been to Oceania. He was actually part of Captain James Cook's third voyage on the Resolution. I don't know if you know that, but this journey was also Cook's last expedition because, unfortunately, he was killed in Hawaii. Yeah, so
0: Paul and I went to Hawaii a year before last, and on one of the tours we were on, they told us all about Captain Cook and how... When he arrived in Hawaii, they arrived during an annual festival for a fertility god, I think. Mm -hmm. And so these men show up with these big ships, and they've got iron, which the Native Hawaiians had never seen before. So they were treated like gods. They were very well treated. And unfortunately, I think it ended up that they really took advantage of the Native people and their hospitality. And I think after a few months of, of this going on, one of Captain Cook's men dies. And all of a sudden, the locals realized that these men were not gods. They were just mortals. So they rebelled. And Cook didn't survive. He's killed by the locals.
1: So actually what I read that he grew more and more violent over the years. And on his third voyage, he was very violent against natives and against his own men. And also that he made some really, really bad decisions towards his his ships and endangered his ships very often. But I'm not quite sure about all the details there, actually.
0: Yeah, I don't know everything either, but I, because I'm such a weirdo. The other thing I remember is that he wasn't eaten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you say eaten?
0: I said eaten, uh-huh. yeah, okay. So, because I remember, these are the things I remember on the tour. Yeah. I'm sure there was an absolute abundance of really useful information, but I remember that someone on a tour had actually asked whether or not he had been eaten because... He was cooked, so they put his body on a fire to remove his bones, and that's what they did in sacred burial rites, I think, for their own kings. They weren't cannibals, but... He was cooked, and, of course, this is the part I remember, that they cut off and preserved his hands, burned him for his bones. Maybe some of his bones were given to the crew for burial at sea, but I actually can't remember
1: that. Sorry. I bet your your dad knows that.
0: (laughs) I'm certain he
1: does. (laughs) Okay, so um, the cook became the cooked. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's right. neat that's actually pretty cool i'm gonna remember that now <laughs> well i think that's the only way i remembered
0: it because that's all i kept thinking when they were talking about it was oh so cook was cooked cook was Cooked. <laughs> like and that's how it's just that story stuck in my brain
1: i'm sure our listeners are gonna
0: remember that now forever yeah well and hopefully i got that you know i'm sorry if i got parts of that wrong and i'm sure i probably did you know you can always send us a message <laughs> okay but
1: back to the bounty yes Enough. <laughs> but he's he's cooked he's cooked Yeah, Captain Bly was part of this famous voyage where Cook died. So he was an experienced navigator already, and he already had been in this part of the world.
0: Yeah, well, Cook was, I mean, for all of his problems, he was the navigator. He was an incredibly skilled and talented navigator. So if Bly had traveled with him, then I'm guessing he really knows his stuff as
1: well. But Bly is the bad guy in our story? Well, actually, you would think so, right? But no, he's not. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, he was made out in books and movies that he was the bad guy, he was portrayed as tyrant who punished his men for just minor incidents and stuff like that. But actually, facts show that he was a commander that used corporal punishment less often than other captains. In my opinion, I think he was a strict captain, but he was definitely not unfair. Oh, right. Okay. Because...
0: I thought, and I'm guessing some other people had thought, maybe, uneducated people like myself, that because the whole situation ended in a mutiny, you tend to think that, you know, there's a terrible captain and all the people on board had had it.
1: Yeah, you know, right, And so right. they
0: rebel because they can't take this incompetent fool anymore. But yeah. that's not the case.
1: Exactly. That's not the case. And obviously, we're going to talk more about Captain Bly. But I just want to say one thing in advance. I am kind of a fangirl. <laughs> mm-hmm. i know
0: that i know that you are do you have a captain bly tattoo yet
1: no not yet oh you could Let do like see.
0: a sextant and a compass yeah, like yeah a, something like that Make get like nautical like maybe nautical instruments nautical yeah. instruments yeah that would be very cool well i'm really looking forward to finding out what it is about the kind of his jib yeah <laughs> the, <laughs> that gets the wind in your sails, so to speak. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't resist. So, okay, we've got your man, Captain Bly,
1: and then we're going to need some more people for this mutiny to happen. Yes, definitely, we need more people. And one of the most important names in this story is Fletcher Christian. So Fletcher Christian was 23 years old at the time of the expedition. He was a personal friend of William Bly. Bly himself asked him to come on the expedition with him and to be the master's mate there. Uh, Later on, he even appointed him to acting lieutenant during the journey which made him equal to another acting lieutenant named John Fryer. So that's the third name we know. I don't want to go into details here because, you know, all the different ranks on the ship, they can be kind of complicated and maybe not all of our listeners are going to be interested in it. But if you're interested in it, I'm going to post some link where you can see the complete crew list and their ranks.
0: Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, there's no way that I know I can't keep track of all the ranks and, and people. So, yeah, that's perfect.
1: Good. Well, let's just say in total there were 46 men on board, including two botanists. Yeah, they needed somebody for the plants. They need botanists, yeah. Yeah. What is important to know is that most of the common seamen at this time, well, I don't know how to describe it nicely. I would say that they were not the most moral people. Okay. Many of them already had spent time in jail and they had run into problems with the police. There's actually one. His name is John Adams and he signed up under a fake name to escape the law. He called himself Alexander Smith.
0: Well, at least it wasn't the other way around, um, because John Adams was a really well-known name in this part of the world, because that's the same name as the second president of the U.S. and, you know, well-known for the American Revolution time. So, yeah, that wouldn't have been good thing it went that way and not the other way.
1: <laughs> it would have been super funny, though, if you would have tried would to have... hide under this name, right? I know, <laughs> like, I know. So bizarre. Name, Justin Bieber. I bet it was super a super
0: common name though in England. Um especially I've been researching I'm really into genealogy and I'm on ancestry all the time and a lot of my family comes from England and they have super common names like John Smith where it's like oh forget it you're never if you have a weird name you're lucky cuz it's easier to do genealogy.
1: All right so I'd say enough with all the boring background story. You know the basics and let's go on the big adventure. Can we please? <laughs> Okay, so on the 23rd of December, the Bounty started the journey. They were heading to Tahiti. Can we just for a moment think about that kind of journey? Because for us nowadays, it's super normal to travel around the world, right? I mean, we have airplanes, we have the internet, we know how it looks almost in every part of the planet. There are only little mysteries left when it comes to foreign parts of this world, I'd say. Yeah, Wakanda forever. (laughs) (laughs) I have absolutely no idea what that means.
0: Oh, okay. I'll fill you in later. We've been binging the Marvel movies. It's from Black Panther, which is Uh fantastic. Yeah, we're getting ready for the new Marvel movie to come out. So it's all binging Marvel and Game of Thrones in my house lately.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's go back to 1787. Those men had no idea what they were going to find when they were going on this expedition, except of Ply, of course, because he already had been there. But the rest of the men, especially the lowest ranks, they had absolutely no idea what they were going to expect. I'm sure they heard some rumors of tropical paradise, but uh, I'm certain they were excited to leave Britain's not-so-pleasant climate behind.
0: Yeah, definitely not as pleasant as Tahiti, that's for sure. Definitely. But it's pretty crazy to think about that, because even today, flying from England, like flying from England to Tahiti is a haul. Mhm. So doing that in a little tiny cramped ship, that's, that's next level. Are they sailing direct, or will they have layovers for food yeah. and supplies?
1: Well, actually, they did have layovers. Their first stop is in Tenerife. They stopped there, and they stock up on supplies. Then they headed out for Cape Horn, which was the shortest route to Oceania. And short is super, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, only problem was that at that time of the year, in winter, trying to sail around the Horn in southern direction is super hard. It still is super hard. So the ships have to go against huge waves and forceful winds. And when the ship finally arrived at Cape Horn on 23rd of March, the weather was beyond bed. they had heavy storms and it was impossible for them to continue on their way around the horn but they didn't give up they actually kept trying for almost a month that's
0: amazing so wait so you only really you can only sail around cape horn in a clockwise direction because that's crazy and sounds
1: exhausting it's super exhausting i mean you you can make the way but it's it's hard it's, it's really hard, hard yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. It was exhausting. And they were slowly running out of supplies. The crew started to have some minor cases of injuries. They were sick. There was a lot of tension going on between them. You know, they were cramped in this tiny ship. There was, for example, one incident, and it's so stupid, but the crew were accusing Bly of keeping some cheese from them.
0: But wait, was he, though? Because I'm a pretty laid-back gal, but if you're keeping cheese from me, I will cut you with my specialty cheese knife.
1: Annie, stop being so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: now i really want cheese though Uh, i love cheese yeah all right so what's next (laughs) enough with the cheese. oh Oh, there's never
1: enough cheese (laughs) (laughs) true okay after almost one month they finally gave up and they were heading towards cape of good hope so there was a lot of time they spent trying to get around cape horn yeah they lost a lot of time they reached Mm. cape town on the 24th of may They had to get new supplies and they had to get the ship fixed because the bounty had suffered really some damage there when they tried to navigate around the Cape. Uh, Fletcher Christian, he had to borrow some money from Bly to be able to go out on town and have a little bit of fun during their layover in Cape Town. Later on, the money that he borrowed, that would become a little bit of a problem because Bly always kept bringing it up when he started arguing with Christian. Every time he disapproved of Fletcher Christian for whatever reason. Ugh, that's the worst, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It does seem like he was kind of petty there. Anyway, end of June, they leave Cape Town and they were heading for Tahiti. And the rest of the journey was more or less unspectacular. The only incident they had was that they lost one crew member due to blood poisoning. I mean, it's something that's pretty easily obtained uh, at that time. A splinter could basically kill you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plus, their ship doctor was not the best. He was a horrible drunk. Later on Tahiti, he even died from alcoholism. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, it's not the kind of doctor you want to have around. No,
0: nope. <laughs> I like my doctors sober, thanks. Yeah,
1: me too. <laughs> well, finally, on the 25th of October, 1788, so that's almost 10 months after they left Great Britain, they finally reached their destination. They land in Tahiti and they drop anchor in Bay.
0: Huzzah! The men must have been so excited about this after all that time on board. It's just such an arduous journey. I guess that's the word, isn't it? And uh, it's just so much intense physical hardship and cramped quarters for almost a
1: year. No, thank you. For sure. I I can't even imagine anymore how hard that kind of journey was. But I think in the end it was all worth it because the crew landed in tropical I mean, they were greeted by beautiful and friendly natives. The climate was perfect. The food was perfect. Everything was great. Sign me
0: up, please, because that really does sound like perfection. It does.
1: And you know what? It even gets better because those rough, smelly and brutal seamen, they arrive and the native people just take one look at them and they think, oh, my God, they're so gorgeous.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Now I'm really feeling badly for that guy who died of a splinter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> okay, so many of the crew members obviously started to have relationships with the native women there. And Fletcher Christian was one of those men. He even married a woman with the name of Mawatua and later on she was called Maimiti, which, uh, by the way, means seasick. Oh,
0: no. Well,
1: that's that's... They don't even sound that similar. That just seems really mean. He sounds like a real prize. How she got that name is later on when she was on the ship, she started throwing up. And that's sure. how they called her Mimetia. Yeah. <laughs> nice, right? Yeah, but still, could you imagine your
0: husband calling you seasick for, like, the rest of your life together? Like, that's just, <laughs> ugh. All right, yeah. yeah. You could, yeah, you could really tell that he cares deeply about <laughs> her own personal feelings and needs and well-being. Mm, super.
1: Anyway, all in all, the bounty stayed there for five months. The men spent their days collecting and preparing all the plants and bringing them on board in their little greenhouse that they had there. All in all, actually, they collect 1,015 breadfruit plants. Well, that sounds amazing,
0: actually. So the island is better than anyone could hope for. Everything is going as planned. They're getting all the breadfruit trees loaded into their fancy-ass greenhouse in the captain's quarters. So when does everything go
1: wrong? Oh, right about now. Okay, tell me everything. Okay, so they spent five months on the island. All is chill, all is great. But, you know, a few men already... They know that soon they're going to be leaving again. And Mm. they don't want to leave Tahiti because why would they? I can't blame them for that. Mm -hmm. So on the 5th of January uh, 1789, three men try to desert. They take a little boat and they go to another island, but they are captured back 17 days later. And Bly knew he had to do something, you know, to get his men back on track, to have some discipline again on board. Yeah. So he ordered for them to be flogged. Now, I've read accounts where they say it was a dozen lashes. I read other accounts where it says it was two dozen lashes. So what you're telling me is that at the time, the practices
0: of the Royal Navy were essentially, when a problem comes along, you must whip it? <laughs> Sorry. But seriously, though, I mean, I get why he had to do it. You can't have people running off on you because then you're you'll never complete your mission. But that sounds like a pretty severe punishment.
1: Well, actually, it's a rather mild punishment. Oh, yeah. Because for desertion, Bly would have been well within his rights to hang the three men.
0: Okay, so I guess he was being fair to them because hanging would for sure be worse than being (laughs)
1: lived. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, well, after a while, they have all their plans. The weather is just right to set sail once more and to head out for the West Indies. I think it's safe to say that some of the men were super pissed. Mm. They wanted to stay. I mean, they had nothing appealing waiting for them back home in England. Why would they want to leave this super great heavenly place and the beautiful naked breast women there? Well, they did have naked breasts. (laughs) Of course they did. It's warm there. Why should you cover up?
0: You shouldn't have to ever. It's a ridiculous double standard, anyway.
1: Uh, another thing it must have been super crowded on ship because the ship was already crowded before but now they had over one thousand plants with them
0: yeah so I can see definitely that it would be hard for them to leave and you know we joke about the bare breasted thing but at that time in England women were extremely covered up so exactly. let's not pretend for a moment that that wasn't <laughs> a pleasant surprise for the <laughs> men to find plus all that beautiful weather so yeah did did um christian's wife uh miss seasick there now see now I feel bad because that's all I can remember is that Sea Dick was the but did she go with them when they left so did he take her back
1: All all the women had to stay they didn't take anybody I mean you can't have ladies on board of a very important expedition Sure yeah because they're. Well you dangerous. know there was there there was the <laughs> they did believe for a while that women on board would actually you know curse the ship Yes that's true Yeah so
0: yeah that makes because sense all I bitches. guess Yeah well shh, don't tell them
1: Trying to keep that a secret. Okay, so they leave Tahiti. Bye. They make a stop on the Tonga (laughs) Islands, fill up on water, fill up on food. There, some natives stole some of the ship's equipment, and Bly was angry, and he blamed Fletcher Christian for the theft, because he was the one who was on duty, and he should have taken care of this kind of situation. Well, he should have, yeah. So the situation on board was intense. Then another incident happened three days later. Bly actually accused Fletcher Christian that he stole some of his coconuts. His coconuts? Seriously? I know, I know. It sounds super petty now, but I guess when you have nothing but stinky men and the ocean, coconuts are kind of important. <laughs> well,
0: see, now all I can think of is that song uh, that I've got a lovely bunch of
1: coconuts. <laughs> you know that? Did he did have a lovely bunch of coconuts? <laughs> and I guess, well, at sea, you never ever touch a man's coconuts without his permission. <laughs> Listen, that's probably a solid life rule in
0: general. <laughs> so it sounds like Bly really had it in for Christian, but it also sounds like Christian was really problematic. But they'd known each other beforehand, right? So I don't know. I just think sometimes maybe it's not wise to hire friends or family to work for you
1: because that can be tough taking orders from someone. Yeah, that's true, that's true. It can be really tough. And it really does look like Bly headed in for Christian. I have to be honest, I don't really know exactly what happened there, so can, I can only speculate. Either Bly might have felt somehow betrayed by Fletcher Christian, because they were friends, as you said, or he felt disobeyed at certain moments. Yeah. I actually think the coconut incident was what only broke the camel's toe. <laughs> What? Sorry, the
0: camel's this sorry, the camel's back. You it's the camel's back. Don't you dare cut this out. You keep this in there. <laughs> um camel, the camel's toe is something else and we'll talk about it after the
1: podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it broke the camel's back. There we go. So a few men, they wanted to return to Tahiti and they thought, well, that's the perfect moment because Fletcher Christian and Bly are fighting all the time. And they started to convince Fletcher Christian to take the command of the bounty and to return to the tropical paradise. Because Fletcher Christian, actually, he just wanted to build a raft and he wanted to return to Matawai Bay all by himself, which I actually think sounds like a really stupid idea.
0: Yeah, I I mean,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you men. <laughs> <laughs> the other guys they convinced him to take the ship and to leave Bly on the ship's boat, the little dinghy that they have with them. Oh right. Instead. Okay. So the next morning, on 28th of April, 1789, Bly was woken up by armed men, and he was brought on deck. And the crew started arguing back and forth. And in the end, it was 18 mutineers, 22 loyal men, and a few neutral guys who were like, well, whatever's going to happen, we're okay with it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, okay. But it seems like there were more men who remained loyal to Bly than there were
1: mutineers. So how did they
0: like, win that argument?
1: Well, the mutineers were armed and they surprised the rest of the crew while they were still sleeping. So, well, that would do it, yeah. Yeah, there's <laughs> not much they could do. Yeah, that explains it. So in the end, Bly had 18 of his loyal men with him. They were placed in the ship's boat. Not all 22 could go with him because the boat was just too small. I mean, it was even too small for 19 people already, Mm. which meant a few people had to go back on the bounty. The dinghy was actually only meant to carry 15 men and only a short distance. Yeah, They were given two small water barrels, and I researched it, and that was 125 liters or 33 gallons of water. That's almost nothing for 19 men. No. They were given some rum and they were given 75 kilos or 160 pounds of bread and some coconuts. (laughs) of course the coconuts i'm sure they were like yeah you wanted your coconuts there you have your coconuts. here take (laughs) your damn coconuts be gone
0: (laughs) good day sir no that's tough that sounds really difficult and thank you for also doing the liters and gallons for us yeah
1: they also threw in some clothing some tools some of the captain's papers and 10 kilograms or 22 pounds of jerky when they were lowering down the dinghy Bly actually tried to appeal to his former friend Fletcher. He shouted, You have dandled my children upon your knee. And (laughs) Fletcher Christian, he replied, Well, that Captain Bly is the thing. I'm in hell. Oh, all right, so we get it. He's in hell, but did he keep going? <laughs> oh, he kept going, all right. The mutineers kept the ship's boat tied to the bounty for more than two hours while they were already turning back around to Tahiti. Oh, no. Yeah, so after the two hours, they threw four knives into the small boat, untied them, and went their merry way. The last thing blind and his men actually saw of the bounty was how the mutineers threw out the plants. <sighs> Oh no, that was so much hard work and so
0: much food, just completely wasted. And people are starving at home, so this is actually an exceptionally awful selfish move.
1: It really is a shame. So, Bly and his men, they were all alone at sea, in their 22 feet long and 6 feet wide boat. Completely overloaded, and it was almost sinking. Oh no. Alright, uh, and this is actually where we leave our story for today. No. No! Come on, don't leave us with this cliffhanger. Well, you all have to wait for next week to find out how the story continues. Until then. (laughs) You are killing us. All
0: right. Okay, friends. So please come and say hello to us on social media. You can visit our website, which is freshhellpodcast.com, to tell us your thoughts on part one, or if you have any questions that you might have for part two. And always remember that if you, like our friend
1: Fletcher Christian,
0: if you are going through hell,
1: keep on going.
0: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.